You're listening to The Dollop on the All Things Comedy Network. This is a bilingual American history podcast where each week I, palm tree watcher, man who swims, uh-huh. not a fan of sharks, Dave Anthony. Oh. Feeder went off. Feeder went off. Yours did? Yep. <laughs> Your computer went what went on? No, my feeder. The cat's feeder. Keep going. You're doing great. Reads a story from American history to his friend. Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about. I thought you said heater. My heater went off. First I thought you said heater, and then I thought you said computer. My I computer. I was very That's confused. Because I, I didn't understand how a computer could go off and I could still be hearing you. So you can understand my confusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. No, that would be weird. Um, so let's get into why you let's get into why you were lying right there from the beginning and why how, I don't think I lied. I think if you were to play the tape, I think if you were to play the tape back, you would hear that I said the feeder went off. So this is just like a big like a big game to you to try to get inside of my head like right away. Like you're trying to oh, no what? Yeah, I mean you're just you trying about? to you're trying to rent space up in this bad boy. But here's the thing about me is uh, nothing. Stop talking. Nothing get in here. Literally nothing. Nothing get in here? Nothing can get into my head. Nothing. Ever. Ever. So you are American. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's coming yeah. across. You heard about this... Ain't, uh, nothing, ain't nothing getting in my head. You heard not, about this... Man, I'm not an idiot. You hear about this scamdemic thing? Oh, yeah. You mean coronavirus? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's that? You know, here's the thing. And I've been talking to a lot of people about this. Uh, it's amazing that the entire world, like every country in the world, you know, Thailand and Rwanda and Amsterdam and Bolivia, every country is trying to make it so Trump doesn't get reelected by wearing masks. Everyone. Yeah. They're, all, they're all in on I it. I agree. I agree. I agree. You know, that just shows you uh, how right he is. It's validating. I find it yeah. validating personally. That's right. Everyone's freaking out because he's point. doing so well. Yeah. Yep. He's doing yep. great. He's doing great. Yep. Both sides crushing Both right sides. now. Just Absolutely. A we are crush fest in the government right now. <laughs> God bless America. Yeah. Yeah. Land that I love. Boy. And called it, quote, his jam pad. Jam pad? I'm the fucking hippo guy. Dave, okay. My name's Gary. <laughs> My name's Gary. Wait. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tiggly Podcast. Okay. This is like Adam. On a five part coefficient. <laughs> My room is Now hit him with the puppy. <laughs> you both present sick arguments. <laughs> no sleep tell hippo. No sleep tell hippo. That action part. Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. <laughs> no. Rhoda. Rhoda at the court. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th. 
Bristol September 22nd and Cardiff September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it let's see you there hey there people listening to the dollop uh this is gareth yes this same guy i listen i have a new podcast called we're here to help that i'm doing with my friend jake johnson it's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't but we try to help people with problems that are important to them you can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts and it is out right now so go listen to we're here to help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun half hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. October 26th, 1883. Year of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember? Oh, I guess that's wrong. Sorry. How's my hair look? It looks, it looks better than that Instagram picture you posted. That was a good one, wasn't it? What happened that day? I had, I had, a, hat, I had a hat on. I took it off. That's I what I said crazy. to my friend. I was like, he had a hat on. Yeah. Yeah. It's not fair. Oliver Napoleon Hill was born in Pound, Virginia. What? His father, a, who, middle name Napoleon is like, yeah, we want yeah. him to be a little prick. I mean, it's really a weird name in 1883. So yeah. his father, uh, James, was a dentist, you know, in that day, dentist, you know, that's definitely... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean uh, tooth surgeon. Yeah. Gum murderer. On the sign, he da- his dad dabbled in moonshine. Sure. Because you yeah, got to have a side job when you're a dentist. Well, I think back then they called it a side dabble. That's right. So his mom, Sarah, died when Oliver was just nine years old. And his uh, dad took a whole year to find a new lady and remarry. <laughs> what would you guess the percentage of these start with a parent dying in the first three sentences? 35? Or, or a kid. I mean, if you want to get into a parent or a kid. I mean, and then I go, if a kid or a parent dies, it's about 50, 60. I feel like it's more, but you might, <laughs> That's I feel amazing. Like, it might be. I think like it's like 80. I think it's very... <laughs> okay. All right. So... So uh, he married Martha, and Martha kept Oliver on the quote straight and narrow. Okay. All quotes are from uh, this entire uh, episode is based on Matt Novak's American Huster, the American Huckster on Paleo Future. Uh, Matt Novak is a great writer. I follow him on Twitter also. Uh, so, Martha pushed him to get an education, and she uh, wanted him to focus on writing. He was having a hard time after his uh, mom died. He, uh, he called it a life of solitude and frustration. So, is she, is she pushing for this at, like, age 10? She's like, come on, you yeah, gotta write a book. Yeah, yeah. Well, she doesn't want to write a book. She just wants him to write. She wants him to use his right. imagination. And, you okay. Know. Right. So, uh, he starts getting into trouble. By 12, he's carrying a revolver. Sure, most writers are armed at 12. Yeah, it's a... It's a 90%. It's a, it's a Hemingway thing. Yeah, it's either you have that and a pen. That's right. Uh, Martha then bought him a typewriter, hoping he would uh, go in the other direction, and she told him, quote, if you become as good with a typewriter as you are with that gun, you may become rich and famous and known throughout the world. 
Okay, so what's becoming clear to me is that Martha has no idea how to parent. Um, because, <laughs> like, I just think of my own position. Like, that is something I could totally see my mother doing. Like, finding pot in my bedroom and being like, have you tried Pepsi? <laughs> you know, and you're just like, get out of here. Like, you have a gun. I mean, you're, I mean, I'm not saying you should have a gun. But if you have a gun, who's, who's getting walked back by a typewriter? I mean, look, guns are far more fun than typewriters. You know what he should have done is just shot the typewriter. Yeah. Let her know who's boss. Let her know what's up. Let her know. Let her know who's boss. (laughs) Typewriters have a uh, lot of letters. No, I got it. I was just sad. I was having a sad moment. Oh, I thought maybe you froze, but you didn't move your face. It was uh, sadness. Oh. Uh, I was reevaluating my life and the choices I've made. Oh, bud, come on. Let's, let's talk off air. I, I feel the same way. <laughs> so Oliver starts writing. Uh, he, he wrote for a small newsletter, and then once in a while that, the stories that were in there would, would get picked up and printed in Virginia newspapers. And he starts writing more and more, and he's writing stories. Boy, so this uh, worked. So she gave him a yeah. type? Okay. On, it right. worked. I guess. He's not a Gareth. Uh, he had a really big imagination. Uh, when there wasn't a lot going on and he didn't have, like, true life stories to pick from, he would just start making stuff up. Interesting. Okay. At 15, uh, he got a young lady in the area pregnant. Okay. And Lots her happening. father demanded, he demanded that they get married. What? So, this is, I mean, I love when someone makes a bad decision Sunday. Like, you're just <laughs> like, you know what else it needs? You need to be married. It's like, what? no, that will not help. <laughs> So he gets married, and at then, 15. yeah, he's. I don't. That's back then. That's not a crazy. Uh, it's just whatever. It's not great. So, but then after they get married, a little while after, she she confesses that the kid's not his. Oh shit! Wow. Uh, so he gets the marriage annulled, and uh, he he's still in high school. And after high school, he gets <laughs> what's, a job. What, what's the matter, Oliver? I just stressed over my annulment. <laughs> You're 17. <laughs> yeah, it's a nightmare. Uh, after high school, he after high school he gets a job working for a coal magnate, uh, Rufus Ayers. Now, there are some biographies that have been written about Oliver over the years. So every once in a while, I'll, I'll just say it from a biography of Oliver. Um, so from a biography of Oliver, he, quote, compensated for his youth and five-foot-six stature by adopting the appearance of a serious young executive, ramrod straight posture, impeccable double-breasted suits, immaculately pressed white shirts, conservative bow ties, and white handkerchiefs neatly posed in the breast pocket. Okay. So he just started... Dressing the part. He's a tiny, fancy guy. He's a tiny... He wow. He I, started dressing the part. You are correct. It's, it's amazing that his middle name is Napoleon. <laughs> so uh, he starts writing stories in which he... He's writing stories about himself doing stuff, and, and in the stories, he is always very incredibly honest and very trustworthy. Mm-hmm. And these are not uh, writings of fiction. These are... Hmm? Okay, sure, sure. I'm, okay. not, I'm not one to judge. Okay. Or say, I've never judged anyone, so I'm not going to start now. You, ju- you judged me on this show today. So, I'm going to ignore that nonsense. Uh, 
So Ayers is impressed with Oliver, and he promotes him after six months to clerk in a coal mine in Richmond. Okay. And then one day, a cashier at uh, the local bank, which is owned by Ayers, uh-huh. uh, quote, went on a bender one weekend. Sure. <laughs> so the cashier is uh, plowed, and he takes his gun out. He's at a hotel. He takes his gun out. And he drops it, and the gun goes off. And it shoots and kills a a black bellboy in the hotel. Okay. So Oliver rushes over, and uh, he says he interviewed the only eyewitness who was there, uh, who said that's what happened, the gun fell down. And then Oliver goes to the bank, because the guy was a cashier, which is a weird move. So it's sorry. A weird move. So, so the man is back at the bank on Monday. Like, man, did I have a hell of a weekend? I killed a no. guy when I dropped a gun. No, <laughs> no, no. Oliver goes to the shooting. Oh, okay. Here's what happened, and then goes to the bank. Uh huh. Right. So it's an interesting move. Usually, if there's a shooting, you don't go. I got to check the bank. Right. But oh, he does. You, okay. And uh, for some reason, the cashier left the doors unlocked as well as the vault unlocked. Oliver wrote that the bank was a mess inside, quote, the money scattered around as if a cyclone hit. Okay. (laughs) What's going on? So the bank, I mean, are we just in the middle of like a banker meltdown? Worse than 2008? Well, he tells Ayers what went down, but that no money was stolen. Wait, so, sorry, 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 just to be clear, sorry. So Oliver goes to the bank. Uh The bank is totally open, the vault is open, there's money all over Mm -hmm. the place, and the banker Mm -hmm. is not there? Well, the banker shot the guy in the hotel. Right. So, okay, so there's just no one at the bank. That's right. And it's just, and there's nobody there. Yeah. Okay, so there's just, okay, I just want to make sure I'm very clear, there is an open, vaulted, open bank. That's right. Okay, gotcha. Thank you so much. Everything yep. seems fine. Uh, so he, he wires airs and he, and he tells him what happened and that no money was stolen. And Oliver's biographers would write, quote, he faithfully counted the money, balanced the books, and discovered that not a cent was missing. Uh-uh. And then he made sure everybody knew he didn't take any money. And then Ayers was like, man, this guy's awesome. And he promoted him to be a manager of a coal mine in his operation. Okay, because he allegedly went into the bank, balanced the bad books, I guess. Which, which and, and there's money all over the floor. Yes, and he just he or, reorganized it. Just He had a montage at the bank of fixing it. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Now, the New York Times reviewed uh, a biography in which the story was in and uh, concluded Oliver had covered up a murder. And he... <laughs> He had told the coroner it was accidental, and he, he paid for the bellboy's burial, and, then, and he apparently did it to get a job promotion. Okay. It, I had been very baffled for a second. Right. Okay. So he just, again, like you were sort of alluded to, when you sort of alluded to earlier, he just kind of inflates himself. Yeah. And, and, he, and, he, and he, he's doing it for his own benefit, right? Right, right. He, 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 it was like his way of getting a job promotion. That, that was his way of showing that he was a good He's employee. a good guy, good character to employ. Right, okay. That's right. And, and he's only 19 years old. 
Sure, right. Of course not. He's been annulled twice. Oliver's biography then says he kicked around for a while doing different jobs, but he actually married someone at this time. So he leaves that out of his biography. And he married Edith Whitman on June 17, 1903. Newspapers reported uh, he was married in Tazewell. They have a daughter in 1905. The family moved to Alabama for a few months until Oliver sent the family back to Virginia to live with Edith's dad. Okay. Uh, down, so he's down in Alabama alone. Uh, he, he gets into the lumber business. And then in his spare time, he would just uh, uh, fuck sex workers, quote, throughout the South. Wow, so he just loved wood. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a hobby situation. Yeah, right, yeah, of course, yeah. I like to build and fuck. <laughs> the, the marriage is, it's a bad marriage. Uh, yeah. At one point he went to Virginia, took the daughter without the mom knowing, left the daughter with his mom, and then told his wife that she'd never see her daughter again. Well, there's, I mean, there's some flags emerging here. Have you ever, I mean, that's just a, like a classic fight. I mean, yeah. I've done that so That's many a good times. tactic. Yeah, I, yeah. Remember you t- you t- I remember you told me a couple times that you told uh, Heather that Finn was missing and she'd never see him again just to get what yeah. you wanted. Well, I wanted, yeah, I was like, I, I wanted to go to a ball game, and she was like, yeah. I don't want to go to a ball game. And well, so, and then there was you know. the other one where you told me she wouldn't let you order off the kids' menu. That's right. And then so you said you went away for about a week, and you told Yeah, her, look, people who aren't married don't get this. Marriage is hard. Because I'll say as an outsider who's never been married, it just sounds crazy. No, it's just hard work. It's just got to put in the work. Yeah, I know. And it just, sort of seems, it just sort of seems like this is outside of the work because it's like, you know, you're sort of, you're insinuating that, you know, I just think that's just so much uh, stress and, and pain for you. you no, no, it, it's the work of marriage. It's the kind of stuff that okay. eventually brings you closer. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess. I guess. I just. I don't. Again, I've never been married, so I. I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Judge. I mean, you don't know. Because, like, if I did that to some, like, if I was dating a girl who like had a kid, and I did that, like, I think that would be bad. But, but I, again, I've, I've never. Dating's not the same. It's different. It's it's different. It's different. hundred yeah. percent. It's yeah. different. I yeah. gu- I guarantee you, eighty percent of our listeners do fake kidnappings with their with their wives and and or husbands okay. or whatever. Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, he also, uh, on uh, January 24th, 1908, he wrote Edith a letter, quote, I'm leaving the country where you'll never bother me. You can only communicate with me through my father and not unless he thinks best. He wasn't leaving the country. That was just, <laughs> that was just a letter he wrote to his wife. But also, who, I mean, I know he's like 19, but like, you know, you have the appearance of a grown-up. You know, the, yeah. your letter being like, well, if you want to talk to me, you've got to go through daddy. How's that for being a grown? Yeah, it's, it's not, yeah, it's not great. I mean, he is 19, but this is, even for a 19-year-old, this is not, I would say, not great. Behavior. He's had an annulment. Yeah. So Edith uh, somehow got the child back. She files for divorce. On what she grounds? Says he, she says that he's violent, disrespectful, what? and when? cruel. Who? Yeah. Huh. She, they go to, she goes, she, they go to divorce court. Uh, he doesn't show up. Uh, his friends and his coworkers come and just describe how he's just having sex with sex workers up and down Alabama. <laughs> I'd still uh, like to testify, Your Honor. 
So she gets uh, divorce granted. He didn't come because he was super busy. Because oh no, son, Dave, I believe I believe he did come. So, so this is, he he's got kind of a racket going. So he's got this lumber business that he started with another guy. Yeah, and he starts going around and getting lumber on credit from suppliers, and he gets about twenty thousand dollars worth of lumber. And then he goes and he sells the lumber for any price he's offered. So even if it's way below what he paid, he just sells right. it. Right. But Dave, is he is he creating a lumber bubble? <laughs> so that's what that was happening. Yeah, this is kind of a lumber bubble. He's making a lumble. Yes. Okay. So he he's not paying back any of the suppliers. So he he's just he's basically just taking wood from people and selling it and keeping the money. Right. He's like Robin Wood. <laughs> That's right. And the other lumber companies are just taking a hit because no one's buying their lumber. His partner gets freaked out and, and sells his shares and bails on the company. And then word gets out that Oliver is committing, I guess, lumber fraud is what we... <laughs> sure, sure. That's what we call right. it. It's called a lumber racket. <laughs> And now every competing lumberman in the area wants a piece of Oliver. So in September, he goes on the run. And sure. now newspapers, his, his old partner was named Acree. So newspapers are reporting it, and they're calling the search the Acree Hill sensation. Okay. I'm sure Acree was like, awesome, thank you for including me in the headline. It sounds like a great band. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. <laughs> It really does. Arrest warrants go out. The Postal Service starts investigating him for mail fraud. And he just fucking hits the road. And he ends up in Washington, D.C. Starts okay. using a new name. Uh, he's got a whole new life story. He is this now... is going to play great in D.C. <laughs> yes, you could do this easily. He's going to be the president. So he is now a car expert and a car oh. salesman. Okay, sure. He starts going by his middle name, so now he's Napoleon Hill as opposed to what? Oliver Hill. Well, yeah, I, he's going I, by Napo- Napoleon. Now, and Napoleon was not too far removed from this time, right? Yeah, Napoleon. Yeah, no, that's how so, I think that's why he was named Napoleon. And as uh, is that weird? Um. Well, it depends what your allegiances are, you know. Uh, what isn't it weird for an like, American? Well, if you don't like the English, why not? Or if you don't, you know what I mean? You don't like yeah, the Yeah, I guess, but sure. But there's other, like, yeah. how about John Wayne? That's a middle name. Ah, uh, <laughs> that's a really good middle name. That racist old. What? So, uh, One article. Get over it. <laughs> other than that, he was a humanitarian. Uh, so he, he would later say, this is the time. That he met Andrew Carnegie. Oh shit! Here we go. He met he met Andrew in. Uh, he said he met Andrew in in his New York mansion. He went there and Carnegie invited him in. And Carnegie sat him down and told him his principles of achievement, his masters, her his mastermind. Carnegie told him his principles of achievement, his mastermind alliance, and his ultimate secrets to financial success. Okay. And this is, again, this is all from our boy Napoleon Hill. Yeah. 
Okay. This is Napoleon's version. So then Carnegie, after he, d- he tells them all his secrets of how his, his, you know, all of his, I guess, trade secrets of how to sure. become a really... Oh, there's got to be a lot, uh, yeah. Yeah. So then he introduces Napoleon to all the most powerful rich guys in the country so Napoleon could interview them to learn how they'd become successful. Is this for, is he, I, I understand that we're potentially on a leap here, but are we saying that this is because he's, uh, this has nothing to do with writing. I mean, he's a car guy at this point, right? Or he's this moonlighting is, as a writer. This is so he can learn. Okay. It's just Carnegie showing him the ropes. Okay, so he just, again, just very simply met up with Andrew Carnegie, and Carnegie was just like, let me impart all the things that I've learned, and why don't you meet everyone else who's rich and successful and pick their brains, my little car friend. He's, He's giving him the keys to the castle, the secrets, all of the skills. Okay, okay. So, uh, so yeah, he's going he's gonna to introduce him to the most powerful rich guys in the world who then uh, he would interview and discuss. And uh-huh. Napoleon and Car- uh, sorry, Carnegie told Napoleon it would take him 20 years to learn all the secrets of how to become a successful businessman. So it's a long-term venture that he saw. Sure. He's, now, he's now really in it. Sure. So he travels the country and he goes around meeting people like Thomas Edison and Henry Ford. Okay. Now, at one point in his book, Napoleon said he asked Carnegie how people could control their wheel of fortune. Get Pat's agent. Pretty, pretty, pretty standard question to ask one. Sure. How does one control their wheel of fortune? <laughs> and Carnegie said, quote, First of all, to control the wheel of fortune, one must understand master and apply the 17 principles of achievement. Simple acronyms should follow. Five of these principles. And I might here suggest that these five, if properly applied, will carry one a long way on the road towards success in any cult. Okay. So Carnegie sounds just very cool. giving. A, very giving. Got a list of list of 17 things cuz that's what Carnegie did. He came up with a list of 17 uh, things. Yeah, that's why we know the Carnegie 17. Right. So obviously none of this is true. Uh, Napoleon did. <laughs> Napoleon did not meet. He did not meet Carnegie. Uh, he did not even leave Washington D.C. and go to work. He was just hiding in Washington D.C. from all the people who wanted him. Okay. But in December, he joined the Automobile Club of Washington, and then a couple of months later, he started the Automobile College of Washington and made <laughs> himself. Is- <laughs> and he made himself president. Well, Dave, is he, and I understand that the ascension to president now doesn't matter uh, in, in any sequence of uh, experience, but uh, is, is it strange to immerse yourself in the world of cars for roughly two months and then decide that you can open Car University? I mean, it's interesting. It's an interesting choice. I don't know back then how rudimentary cars were, but I imagine in a couple months you could uh, learn how to take one apart and put who, it together. There were still people who knew more. Oh, sure, most. Yeah, right, okay. Okay, so, so Napoleon Hill has started Car University. That's right. He puts uh, ads in papers uh, saying that one could become an expert in assembling cars in six weeks, and a graduate of his college could make up to 200 which is about $5,000 a week. Okay, sounds pretty good. Sounds a little too good. 
so he started with uh, two other partners, but very quickly the other partners bailed. That, they're called cart, cartners in that business, correct? That's right. Thank you. It turned out to not be so much of a college. What happened was Napoleon had made a deal with the Carter Motor Corporation to build their cars. So students oh, were shut actually... The fuck. Dude, he's like Nathan for youing this. <laughs> so, yes. so students are actually just unpaid laborers. Actually, they're paying to be laborers to build cars it's for free. genius. For a company that's then selling them. And he's taking all the money. He's taking money from people. From students. To, to learn how to build cars. To build cars for him. Then he's taking and, and getting money for the cars being built. And then the people getting these cars are like, are you sure this is built properly? A lot of these. <laughs> the rear view mirrors in the engine. The tailpipes in the back seat. The mufflers, the steering wheel. Look, sir, a car's a car. Yeah, I mean, it's really fucking crazy. You know, you're getting pretty uh, mad at me for a guy who hasn't really taught me how to do this yet. I'm just telling you, we have fucking deadlines on your (laughs) diploma. I want to help you. I'm trying to reach you. This is like a Dangerous Minds, but with cars. Nobody's going home tonight. We got 15 cars to build. What the fuck are you talking about? There's nine of us. Oh, uh, sorry, uh, did you not want to learn how to build cars? Did you not come here to learn? It's a the classroom. First thing, the first thing it's you a... said to me when I met you was, why isn't that car done? I'm trying to learn. Yeah. Well, that's why you're at college. Yeah. Well, someone needs to teach me and stop yelling at me for not building cars fast enough. Isn't this a program? Okay. Everybody else want to listen to me right now? This guy over here, Frank. Frank has a D. For, right now, for? I'm not learning. He has a D for bad attitude for not car building, for having a bad attitude about not car building. Sorry, sir. A lot of us We're are talking. having a lot of us are having trouble building the cars. Not to speak up or be rude, but it just doesn't seem like we know what we're doing yet, and someone should teach us. Okay, so you you got the directions with the car, right? In the box, there was directions. Yeah, but it's like a car. There's a little guy. There's a little guy with a screwdriver, and then yeah, but which screw to use. Right? Yeah, but a lot of these screws look the exact same. I, I'm just saying. It, it, I mean, couldn't I do this at home? I guess. Okay, Bill has a D. What? Bill's got a D. Frank's got a D. Who, a who thir- else wants to? Thir- who else? Thir. I'm having a fantastic time. This guy. This guy. You know, who I, you know what I call him? I call him Straight A Jimmy. And you know why? Because Straight A Jimmy comes here, and he builds cars, and he shuts his goddamn mouth. My name is actually, my name is actually Pat, so. Straight A Jimmy shuts his goddamn mouth, and he builds cars. And that's what a really good student does. The rest of you guys, why didn't you, do you go to Complain College? You know why you didn't go to Complain College? Because you already have a degree in that. That's why. Yeah, well, maybe somebody could teach us, like, I mean, at, at Complaint University, maybe someone teaches you how to complain, you know? But you don't just learn, walk into a college and learn how to build a car, you asshole. But again, to be clear, this is Frank. Yeah, no, I, I'm aware it's Frank. Frank is an ex-student here at uh, the Automobile College of Washington. 
Well, dude, I would ask for a ride home, but it looks like you don't have any fucking clue how to build a car. So I'm out of here. Who's coming with me? I'm coming with you. It's me from before, too. Who hey, are you? It's also, I'm the weird guy from before. I was the second yeah, guy. Well, what's, your, what's your name? You, my, the name that I have? Yeah. I don't want to tell you anymore. I think as a teacher, you should know that. <laughs> okay. That's fair. You know? And then I'm ready to go, too. To be clear, my name is Pat. That's for sure. Pat? Yeah, that, I said that. And then you told me that I should leave. Or no, you said that I was something Jimmy. Straight A Jimmy. Yeah. I, thought you wanted a, I thought you wanted a really good transcript, but I guess not. All right, go ahead and get out of here. I got a new, I got a new class coming in tomorrow. I don't need you guys. Okay. I'll just call the Carter Car. I'll just tell the Carter Car Company. They, 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 they what can't car the company? No, don't worry about it. This is, what do you mean, uh, don't worry teacher, about it? It's teacher talk. Are you making us build cars for a goddamn company? You know, I'm in a teacher's lounge right now. I'd appreciate it if you guys just took off and got out of teacher's There's lounge. There's one room in this building. I'm supposed to be in the lounge. Thank you, gentlemen. So, maybe the longest thing we've ever done. Now. <laughs> <laughs> so, Napoleon meets uh, Florence Horner in 1910. She's in high school. She's from a wealthy family. And three months like later... They get married. Okay, dokie. The week after she gets out of high school, just oh, as you're supposed but, to do. Boy, well, not a creep move at all, right? They don't no, make a no, lot no. of graduation nuptial cards. A gentleman waits until his lady graduates before he marries. Yeah, <laughs> a week. Well, now that she's firm in the world of adulthood, I think it's right <laughs> if I take her. So he's 27. This is his third marriage. Ugh. And while Napoleon is on his honeymoon, his business partners and suppliers start bailing on him. The Washington Post reported one business partner was accusing Napoleon of stealing a car and wanting the college put into receivership. What, what does receivership mean? He, uh, it's like bankruptcy when okay, you know, someone thought, else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so. The, Carter, the Carter Car Company then goes bankrupt in 1912. And uh, the writer of the, of the article this is based on, Matt Novak, think this could have something to do with the way the cars are being built by people who don't know how to build cars. I don't think that's true. That's impossible. It's just like but, every uh, car is the chitty, chitty, bang, bang car. <laughs> but, but Napoleon does not shut down the, the college. No, of course not. He, just, he changes the focus. So instead of teaching students how to build cars, they're now taught how to sell them. Okay. Are you? There is a car salesman college. Well, now there is. <laughs> what is that? I mean, what is that like? I can't even imagine how the negotiate the constant negotiation. <laughs> it's really bad. Yeah. So I want you guys to get that in by Thursday at one p.m., sir. If I may, I was thinking that it might make more sense if we were to maybe split that over three days. Just three installments of giving you a little bit of each paper. Sir, I can actually do that, uh, and I can do that in two papers. I can do that over Wednesday and Thursday. All right, guys, it's non-negotiable. I'm liking what I'm hearing. What's your credit like, sir? It's fantastic. Well, do you mind if I run it? Well, I'm not crazy about it. Come into this office real quick. Let me introduce you to Barbara. Hi, thanks so much. They call me the closer. I don't know why. Oh, come on. I'm the teacher of this goddamn school. So what we're looking for is to give you five different installments of getting this paper by Thursday. Five? You guys just said two. Someone else said one. No, listen. This is what we're after. 
That's right. Now, can I just get a credit card or uh, some family history from you real quick? So, on April 11th, 1912, Motor World magazine published an article about the Automobile College. It was titled, Pointing the Easy Route to Get Rich Quick Land. <laughs> and it broke, it broke down the ways the college was a grift. Uh, the plan for students to make 5 a k a year was that the students were considered week, sales right? agents. They were just considered sales agents. So that's like, right. that's how you can make five grand healers to actually sell cars. All right. Um, or, you know, I made a lot of money and make it a fake college. That's another route you guys can go. <laughs> They also would get three bucks a head for every student, new student they brought in. So the so it's like Amway. It's, it's yeah, like I mean, yeah, Amway the college. On November eleventh, nineteen twelve, Napoleon and Florence had a baby. Uh, he was a baby boy. He was deaf and he had no ears. Oh my God! You could have gone and just you could have gone with the first one, and I would have assumed. From Napoleon's official biography, quote, In the years to come, despite intense fighting with both family and school teachers, Napoleon would never allow the boy to learn sign language. He was determined to single-handedly teach his deaf son to speak and even to hear. See, now that's what happens when you're able to open a bullshit car college where eventually you're teaching car salesmanship. You just believe too much, and you should. You have every right to believe that you walk on water. But the That's idea right. that you're going to, compl- like, I mean, that, that essentially obviously removes the child's ability to communicate completely, which is cool. So, cool dad. Yeah. Check. Uh, so My boy's going to have the biggest ears this town's ever seen. Ain't that right, son? <laughs> Baby steps. <laughs> so, the automobile college shut its doors in 1912, and soon after, Napoleon decided he wanted more, and Chicago was the place to go. So Florence's family actually got him work at LaSalle Extension University through a connection. And after arriving, he quickly printed up stationery, stationery, quote, Napoleon Hill, attorney at law, 2715 Michigan Avenue, Chicago. Now, he's obviously never gone to law school. Sure. He has no legal experience. Right. But he was just like, this is, I'm here. I might as well do this. Yeah, but Davey had letterhead. And in a lot of ways, isn't that everything? Yeah. So, this is just the beginning of a bunch of nonsense. Uh, he buys a candy store with some other people. That falls apart. Sure. He opens the George Washington Institute, which is a college to teach students in the principles of success and self-confidence. Uh-huh. He's the guy. He's 100% the guy. He is. 100% the guy to teach self-confidence. Uh, he was soon accused of fraud, though. What? In 19... 19- yeah, I know. In 1917, he told the newspaper he was going to sue a railroad because lighting in passenger cars was harming his eyesight. Quote, I have been using the IC train less than two months, yet I have been compelled to use glasses for the first time in my life. So this is the sort of person who walks into a Walgreens without a mask and wants a fight, right? <laughs> yes, that's exactly what he is. The sort of person is like, I know you don't understand. I I am unable, I get corona from the mask. Like, I literally have a doctor who says that I will get corona if I wear a mask. Do you understand what I'm saying? So investigators looked into the George Washington Institute for selling bullshit stock. It turns out he had way uh, overvalued the school when he starts selling or giving out stock. And so arrest warrants are issued for him. I mean, basically, he said the school was worth 100 grand, but it's only worth uh, 1,200. Okay. So 
That's a big difference. <laughs> bit of a difference. Bit of a difference. So nothing. Uh, he, he's arrested. Uh, uh, sorry. Arrest warrants are issued for him. Nothing is known about the result of the charges or if he had to pay back the students or anything. There's just a lot of ca- cases that happen here where he's arrested some, and then it just kind of drifts away. Okay. Florence has their third kid in October, and this is when Napoleon would later report that President Woodrow Wilson came to him to ask for his help with World War I. <laughs> okay, wait. And, I mean, I know it's bullshit, but... Even in his bullshit, it's based on what? That he's... That just, he can... Just he's a, do, a, get stuff well, done, he's I got, guess? He runs the college. That he's confidence. got the goods? Sure, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Wilson offered to pay him a lot of money, but Napoleon sure. refused any payment. Of he was first he this, Dave, this guy does... He's not after money. <laughs> this is not a guy who's after... This, he doesn't do this for cash. Uh, they, I, to be honest, it's a little offensive that President Woodrow Wilson would even try, try to give him money. I mean, this yeah. is a man whose heart bleeds red, white, and blue. I mean, the, the, That's right. the, the pulse in his vein is that of the Star-Spangled Banner. I mean, he, yes. he, is, he is patriotism personified. Yeah. So, uh, now what, what does Wilson want? What is he doing? Well, we don't really know. Sure. We just know that he wanted Napoleon involved in his administration. So, and again, uh, uh, win- winners like winners. That's right. So Napoleon uh, said he made propaganda for Wilson to fire up Americans working to make uh, weapons for the war. And, uh, <laughs> and then he was there in, in the Oval Office the day when President Wilson got word that the Germans were surrendering. The Germans are surrendering? Napoleon, what's a good battle plan? <laughs> so, Woodrow Wilson, President of the United States of America, mm-hmm. then asked Napoleon for some tips on what mm-hmm. to put in the terms to end World War I. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Napoleon told him, quote, I would ask whether the request for an armistice has been made on behalf of the German people or the German warlords. And President Wilson said, quote, of course. Yeah, of course. Bingo. There we go. Why not also just, um, you know, tell a bunch of guys that they're just going to go to soldier camp and then drop them off in the war? <laughs> Obviously, uh, none of this happened. What? Uh, it, he came up with it for a future biography. Now, the problem with this account is that Napoleon had already written about what he did on Armistice Day <laughs> in, in something called Napoleon's Hills Magazine. <laughs> Quote, well, you got to be careful. Quote, like most other people, I became as drunk with enthusiasm and joy that day as any man ever did on wine. I was practically penniless, but I was happy to know that the slaughter was over and the reason about to spread its uh, beneficent wings over the earth once more. Wow. Right. So, well, you know, a guy like this out. can be two places. Yep. In 1918, Napoleon started Hill's Golden Rule magazine. He got He got involved in a stock-selling scheme for an oil company that was owned by a Texas couple. So he he's, would push... he's almost like a time-traveling Lenny Dykstra, it feels like. <laughs> he, 
So he would in, he would put ads in his magazine to uh, to boost their stock and get people to buy their stock, and this led to Napoleon being charged with fraudulent advertising. Right. It turns out he had started a bunch of magazines over the years, and he used them to get word out about whatever he wanted. Shouldn't have given him that typewriter. Let him stick to so the gun. He's like a dude who started a bunch of blogs. Yeah, or a bunch right. of Twitter accounts, right? Or no, he starts, yeah, exactly, yeah, he starts a ton of profiles, yeah. Yeah. So, and then he, Nothing. like, talks to, and then he, like, writes to himself, and he's like, dude, everything you're doing is unbelievable, and he's like, thanks, man, but I don't do it for the accolades. And then someone's like, he's <laughs> so, both people. Now, the Golden Rule of Golden Rule Magazine was something he was always going to preach, loosely a version of it. Uh, it's a karma type thing where if you help others, good stuff comes back to you. A lot of times that good stuff is money. Uh, sure. And, that's, and that's, the code, that's the code he's lived by. That's right. So Napoleon soon realized he could get his name in the press by giving awards for the golden rule. Okay. So the golden rule medal, the golden rule award. Sure. In 1922, he gave a golden medal Golden Rule Medal to a chiropractor who just beat out Woodrow Wilson after after 150,000 magazine subscribers voted. Wow! So, and but that so this... but that's pretty common. So there's 150,000 magazine subscribers around the country, and there's some names on there, but sure. they choose a local a chiropractor. chiropractor over the president of the United States. Yeah, sure. Right. And, and yeah. Dave, was the chiropractor close to, in proximity to uh, where Napoleon was? Yes, he was in the same, yeah, in the same city. Oh, that's interesting. That's so interesting because I wouldn't have guessed that. So, that's, so, I mean, and for a chiropractor, that has to be really exciting, you know. Oh, yeah. Here you are, a chiropractor, and you've beaten out the president. I mean. Yeah, big deal. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. You could almost, like, frame that and put it up in your office and tell yeah, people that. Like, yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, but again, my guess is nobody's going to need that. No, I don't think so. So the press fell for it and ran with the story. It was printed all over the U.S. There are pictures of Napoleon handing out the Golden Rule Awards that would keep <laughs> happening over and over again. <laughs> in 1922, Napoleon like and another bullshit man, Willy Wonka. Yes. <laughs> In 1922, Napoleon and another man started the Intra-Wall Correspondence School. Okay. So it's, it's a charity. Sure, and I'm sure it is. It's, t- it's to educate prisoners in Ohio prisons to help them live a decent life when they get out. Uh-huh, right, of course. He also pushed to get one specific Ohio inmate released. He was a check forger, and it worked. And the inmate got out and then quickly began running the charity. Huh. Turns out the whole charity was the forger's idea. Well, okay. But it's, it's weird. I mean, it is, it's, it's curious, you know, for that to be your first hire. Oh, by the way, can we get that forgery guy that you have locked up for forgery? I want him to be involved in my business. So, I mean, Napoleon just runs with it. In late 1923, articles were written about Napoleon, his debts, and all the people who were trying to find him. Using the charity to fill his pockets was a cover in the articles. 
At the time, he was touring the country seeking charity donations. Novak wrote, quote, His constant movement around the country was not necessarily out of wanderlust, of course, but rather to stay one step ahead of the law. Right. An article about him bilking churches and even getting kids to pitch in was written. Wow. This guy, I mean, but he, but like, he's learned no lessons, so there's no bottom. Well, there's no lesson learned. And then, I mean, he's going to churches and getting like $1,000 at a church and then right. just living off of it. Right. Like, it's just free money. Yeah. Well, and, well I, I'd, I'd rather look at it like God's money, <laughs> if that's okay. Because he needs it. So, that's right. He does. Because it's a guy. It's a guy, and he lives in a cloud. Go ahead. That's right. So he's doing this all over the country. Another article covered how the prison had not received a penny. Huh. And so when that comes out, Napoleon then says, it's not me, the warden and the prison chaplain are corrupt. Right. And he also blamed it on the check forger. Wow, just... Who's running it in Ohio, and then the check forger is sent back to jail. No allegiance or alliance in any way. (laughs) Just a bus-tossing little warmonger. (laughs) So now, uh, he's also, this whole time, he's, he's, he's doing the interviews that Carnegie set up, and he says these are ongoing. There's no evidence that any art interview ever happened, except there is one photo of Napoleon with Thomas Edison. Oh, okay. Weird. And Edison is, Edison is looking at the camera, and, and uh, Napoleon is turned sideways looking at Edison. So, like, they were having a good conversation. So, like, mid... <laughs> mid- Natural chat. It looks like it looks like they were talking for a second, and then someone yelled, "Hey, Edison!" And Edison turned and looked, and then someone snapped a photo. I, can I relate it to uh, Ivanka whenever she goes to any head of state thing? Oh and yeah, she just sort of is like, "Hey, can I be in the picture while I pretend to talk? We're pretending to talk. Yes. Watermelon, 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 watermelon. By Angela Merkel, watermelon. Justin Trudeau, watermelon, watermelon." In December 1923, the Specialty Salesman magazine learned how the photo had happened. "Quote: Hill sent a press." Hill sent a press agent over to announce that Mr. Hill, one of the leading magazine writers, wished to attend the Edison Convention of Dealers. Of course, he was, he was allowed because he was a magazine writer. And then when he was there, he asked Edison to pose with him, a request he could hardly refuse. At that point, he handed Edison a Golden Rule medal and, quote, <laughs> Edison returned the medal without comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Finally, how you're supposed to react. Uh, Mr. Edison, I know you've uh, won many things and have had more patents granted than anyone in history, but uh, here's your golden diploma from the school of horsecock. <laughs> Napoleon now had a photo, though, that he could use, and he, he sent it out with... Uh, I like that with, that, that is, like, going to prove anything. As you can see, yeah. clearly I met with Carnegie, and I'm on the investigative path of 17 like-minded geniuses. Here's a picture of me and Edison. He built the whole story around it, and he would yeah. send it out with the, the leading line, the, two, l- the lead two of America's most famous men. So, Dude, how much would he have crushed Instagram? Oh. I mean, this dude would have slaughtered Instagram. 
Oh, he's fat Jew all the way. He's that he's guy. He's just, just perfect. Yeah. Yeah, just steals and fucks people over, and yeah, yeah. and just is like in places where it's like, hey, look where I am. Yeah, uh, big hashtag, right? Guess. So uh, he, he had no other photos of proof of any other men that he met uh, because he said they were all burned in a fire. Yes, yes, you don't understand. They burned in the great fire of bullshit. And my girlfriend is in Canada. I tell you, I have a girlfriend in Canada. She's great. I've been in her. Come on, look at the letters. It's not me writing left-handed. So, in 1928, Napoleon tracks down publisher Andrew Pelton. Now, Pelton published self-help books from the New Thought Movement, which is what Napoleon was part of. Okay. The main idea of the New Thought Movement was that, quote, ideas and thoughts have direct and material actions upon the world. Sure, so... Thoughts have meaning, I guess, is the movie. Well, you could turn your thoughts into uh, rewards. You know, okay, you can, sure. using your mind, you can become successful. Right. I like how this was not a known fact. Uh, so Pelton said he would publish the book. Okay. Law of Success was released into the world. It contained all the interviews with the famous man Napoleon had conducted. Mm-hmm. So he's got all this stuff about how he, he, he hangs out and talks to all these great men and then, and then how he did it and how they did it. And it's just all wrapped up in this, this sort of bullshit theory of like One. you can make what you want. Uh, right. Happen. Look at me. I made it all up. I mean, I made it. I made it. So it sells. Uh, royalty money starts coming in and then it really starts coming in in 1929. He starts making around 35000 a month in today's money. Wow. He buys a Rolls-Royce, a huge house with 600 acres in the Catskills. He's spending more money than his royalties. Well, and 1929 is a great time to be on a spend <laughs> That's right. He bought an estate with a bunch of other investors with the idea that they would turn it into the, quote, world's first university-sized success school. The what, what, I mean, it, it's like, it is true, the more words, the harder it is to track, but I still know there's no substance. What is the, what is the nonsense called? Oh, it's so great. World's first university-sized success school. So it's woofos. It's, <laughs> that's right. Uh, Okay. <laughs> Where other institutions like, excuse me, that feels like infringing upon what we do. No, we but we're going to like breed success. Well, we do that. We're Harvard. We do. We're no, success. but we this do. is, I understand, but this is different. We're going to like preach it and we want people to have a success. Well, we don't say it, but that's exactly. What our thing you don't is. say it. That's the thing. You don't say it. You don't say it, but we said it. Huh? It's weird how Harvard's full of all these smart people and yet you guys didn't. Say it. And, and gosh, I did say it. So, gosh, what does that make me? I guess that makes me smarter than Harvard, doesn't it? Because I said it, stupid. <laughs> By the way, I just wanted to give you a um, golden rule diploma. Um, this is 100% boolean. Wow, thank you. This is 100%. It's uh, what we call bendable boolean. It's a new product oh. we're working on. Um, we've actually oh. figured out a way to make bullion bendable, and we figured out a way to make silver into water parks. So, oh. yeah, that's what we're doing. I know Harvard does a lot of cool stuff too. 
We got a lot of stuff cooking here. We made birthday cake that uh, flies. This doesn't sound like a success school. This is the sort of stuff that, again, Harvard, I'm not asking you to take our idea, but it sounds like you're just not willing to keep up. I mean, do you guys even have floating toilets? What? No, I don't. If If someone dies on your campus, are they dead forever? Yeah, that, yeah. Okay, uh, so that's, again, another difference. We don't have that at our school. If someone passes away at our school, we just bring them back to life. So we're, sh- we're shutting down Harvard because of this conversation. Hmm, that's interesting. Well, nobody likes a quitter. <laughs> well, if you're not uh, doing anything, you can come over to my school and learn how to no. open an actual university. Yeah. No, I'm good, thanks. We have Thank a dolphin you. man, and we also... <laughs> Now have, yeah, no, we do, we do. And we're the first school that has made fingernails for police cars. <laughs> now they have nail, fingernail, human fingernails on them. So it's easier to get into places, barricades and whatnot. But anyway, love what you guys are doing. So thank you. All right. We'll see you later. Oh, I almost forgot. I have a little something for you in my pocket. (laughs) It's my middle finger. Yes. I also invented that the other day. When I was just sitting around, I decided a new thing I'm going to do is tell people I have one more thing to show them, pull out my middle finger, and <laughs> look at the look on your dumb face. Oh, yeah. All right. Ta-ta. Yeah. Bye. I stole a bunch of pencils. Bye. So Francis and the boys uh, come uh, to the university, and uh, so Napoleon goes on tour. <laughs> sure. Of course, makes sense. And then Wall Street crashes. Oh. Great Depression comes. Uh, a few months later, the house. Isn't is it in weird how the, the stock market used to reflect the economy? Oh, that's weird. That's a strange thing. Huh. Oh. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, a few months later, the house is in foreclosure. Florence moves back to West Virginia, and Napoleon has an office in New York, and he stays there working on his next book which is called The Magic Ladder to Success. Oh, God. And when that comes out, his, biography, his biographers called it, quote, stillborn. Oh, boy. Good Lord. This <laughs> is not a good term for a book. No, it's, I've, I've never heard it. So then Napoleon decides to uh, get into movies. He, he sure. tried... He has an idea. He wants to get high school kids to come up with a way to a, adapt the law of success into a film. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so he's he looking for a free crew. Well, what he wants is actually to all these kids to compete uh, for the prize of whoever has the best idea. But what it really is, is he just is trying to figure out a way to get all the kids to buy his book. <laughs> oh, wow. Even weirder, honestly. Like, what a weird little... Yeah. Uh, he ends up producing a Mormon movie, and when the Mormon movie is in production, is he wait? Were, is he still born again? <laughs> it's, when the movie's in production, the investors were asking for the production company to be put into receivership. So sure. while he's shooting it, people are like shut it down. <laughs> yeah, still, that's, movies, good. that's a good sign, be, though, right? Yeah. Movies and again, this film is, this film is about climbing the uh, ladder to success in some way. No, it was just all more it was pure more. It's Mormon just stuff. climbing the ladder to God. Okay. Uh, and uh, it's a huge hit in Utah, but nowhere else, obviously. Mm. 
So he goes back to, he starts doing different magazines and finding people to invest, going from city to city, doing scheme after scheme. Now, later, he would claim this is when FDR asked him to <laughs> help get Americans m- more confident about the economy again. Sure, right. He's the guy. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, Wilson probably recommended him. Oh, yeah. Now, this is weird because Napoleon is actually a huge conservative, but he said his ideas made their way to FD- into FDR's New Deal. Sure. <laughs> Oh, and he also said he came up with the phrase, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Oh, my God. This guy, (laughs) and by the way, that, uh, it's, I mean, I just, I said it, and someone wrote it down. I don't even remember really saying it, but I definitely said it. And in a way, Dave, he's lived his life by that mantra that he didn't come up with. That's right. Um... So in 1935, Florence had finally had it, and she filed for divorce. Mm. He still goes out, and he's doing uh, touring and speaking. And the next year, he's speaking in Knoxville. And afterwards, Rosa Lee Beeland introduced herself to him. And they chatted, and then they agreed to meet again the next day. And Rosa Lee describes the magic. Quote, When I arrived, he met me at the elevator, escorted me to his study, and without inviting me to be seated, started immediately to tell me his story. We talked for more than five hours. We compared notes and spoke very plainly and frankly. Before I left, we were engaged. Oh, my God. What the fuck? Honest to God, this is the guy to open a car-selling university. <laughs> it really is. She was like, so if I just pay two fifteen a month and a down payment, then I can be with you for the rest of my life. Wow. Um, is this your new girl? I'm Lee Singer. <laughs> so uh, they do a prenup, and the idea was to protect the royalty money from people he had swindled over the years and Florence. So he, in the prenup, signs over all of his book royalties to Rosalie. Okay. Uh, they get married very quickly, and together they start working on his next book, which would be called Think and Grow Rich. But they have no money, so they go to New York. But has, has he read his book? He should read his book. <laughs> no. He should read all his books. Yeah. So they have no money, so they go to live with one of his sons, the only son who will talk to him, Blair, and his wife, who live in Hell's Kitchen in New York. Okay. But while they're there, he's verbally abusive to his daughter-in-law, so she well, he, leaves. Dave, if you're in Hell's Kitchen, you're supposed to be verbally abusive. That's I the, agree. That's the premise of the show. So she leaves and goes back to West Virginia, and then a few days later, Blair follows her down there. But before Blair goes, he loans his dad $300. Okay. So... Napoleon and Rosalie are now free to work, have money to get by without the annoying couple who actually lives in the apartment bothering them. Right. Great. Perfect. So she's really good at organizing his thoughts and and stuff into uh, a book form. And then Pelton publishes it in 1937. Now, people, it's the middle of depression. People are really hurting. Yeah. And then here comes this book telling them they can get rich using just their thoughts. Probably pretty enticing. 
Yeah, the book's a huge success. People wanted a way out of their desperate state during the Great Depression. And he's saying it would just take positive thinking, visualization, and hard work. And that's it. Good luck, everybody. So he's making money again because of the royalties. He starts spending money again. He's buying fancy cars, expensive clothes. He buys a huge Florida estate. Rosa's buying clothes and jewelry. They have a staff at the house. They're spending, again, money faster than it comes in. Right. And then, to get a little taste of who Rosalie is, out of nowhere, she sends a letter to Blair taunting him, detailing the rich life they're living. And then Blair responds and demands his $300, and no one replied. It's called family. Yeah, that's how you're supposed to do it. That's how, that's a good, that's a good dad. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm going out for cigarettes. Uh, By 1939, they're broke. Creditors are sniffing around. She's writing a book on her own called How to Attract Men and Money While Napoleon Tours. I don't, can you ban someone from writing a book? (laughs) <laughs> it is time It is 100% time To get attention To rekindle book sales They make an announcement They say they're going to adopt 15 children And would raise them Without the terrible parenting That was currently plaguing America Oh god No This is This is This is This is terrible This is I mean <laughs> Uh, this is like this is like Tiger King shit. <laughs> I never saw Tiger King. I can't watch stuff like that. Uh, oh, Dave, you, it's really if you like watching animals be tortured, it is yeah, a I, good I actually, easy watch. I don't. Oh, you should read my book. So the Kansas City Star was given an interview, and the Star said they said they had a housekeeper with who had a young daughter, Jean. And Jean wasn't getting, quote, a proper upbringing, so they took her in. Sure. Then after that, they decided, well, let's keep doing this, and that they, that's how they came up with the idea to adopt 15 kids between two and five years old. Oh, my God. What? I mean, and, what? And, like, what? If you were, <laughs> I mean, if you were to paint a nightmare for me, I think you just did it. Like, what? (laughs) Even in the world of bullshit, pick another, you know, angle. Yeah. So, (laughs) besides Gene, they're all supposed to be orphans, but the one rule is is that they could not have been living in an orphanage. That is going to make it okay. What? uh, So, what are you? Are you just like flipping over boxes on the street? Well, it's free-range babies. Yeah, right. Exactly right. No, they're free-range. You can eat their eggs. So, so the plan is basically to get... Some, okay, so obviously they're looking for like more polished children. Well, they really just want attention. They never follow right. through. They're just so they putting the story out there, and of course everybody reads it. They just want people to remember that they're there to sell books. Right, okay. Right. Since, okay. Uh, James B. Schaefer was born in 1836 in Michigan, and he moved to New York around 1930. And then he 
founded the Royal Fraternity of the Master Metaphysicians, which is also <laughs> part of the New Thought Movement. Okay. Great name. Yeah, what is the New Thought Movement? Uh, so the basic idea was the mind could change everything around it. If you could imagine it, it could become real. Oh, God. So, right. <laughs> so we've just written the secret 35 times. <laughs> yeah. By the mid-1930s, Schaefer had a huge following and was packing Carnegie Hall every Sunday morning. He had around 10,000 followers. Wow. In 1938, the cult bought a hundred-room mansion on Long Island, which that got a lot of attention, but people didn't seem that freaked out because they're really not harmful. Uh, Then in 1939, the cult announced they wanted to raise an immortal. All right, I'm good. Uh, I think uh, I think we found our moment. So, um, so they're just going to live the plot of Ghostbusters too, essentially. They unofficially adopted a baby girl who was five months old. Oh, this poor, poor child! They're just going to Dalai Lama her. This gets a t- shitload of national attention. This Why, Dave? Attention. What about this is huge? <laughs> we raised an immortal. It's a five-month-old. She's in charge now. So they, they plan to raise the girl with a vegetarian diet and only positive thoughts, which would turn her immortal. <laughs> uh, how about a mom? So, that's how it works. <laughs> Is that possible? Is that going to help? Basically, the way this was, anyone could actually become immortal if they just thought hard enough, but they were going to start with a baby and work from there. Well, just to be safe. Make it a lock. Now that this is out there, a writer, E.J. Kahn Jr., went to the Colts Mansion in 1940 and spent 24 hours there to write an article for The New Yorker. Uh He wrote that Think and Get Rich was one of their main texts. Quote, the most revered text, which was written by a member named Napoleon Hill and which many metaphysicians regard as gospel. The book is actually called Think and Grow Rich, but they got it wrong. And he got it wrong. He probably didn't know. He was like, I think that was it. I don't remember. He reported Schaefer went to the 1939-40 World's Fair in New York and demanded officials dig up the Westinghouse time capsule so he could put a paper of baby Jesus's, sorry, baby Jean's footprints in. This had to be cut, done because baby Jean would be the only human alive when it was opened in sixty nine forty. Well, I mean that part might be true. That yeah, that's hard to argue with. Like yeah, that's a, I mean that dates way off. I think did Schaefer, they mean did they mean twenty ninety? <laughs> no, it's sixty nine forty. I mean, they're they're pretty on the date. Okay, they're pretty sure. Okay, Schaefer also filmed Baby Jean with a movie camera while the reporter watched, and they had the baby in the baby's crib, posing with a copy of Think and Grow Rich. Oh my God, <laughs> it's a baby. Like the book should just be called Think <laughs> or Grow or Grow. 
row. Schaefer... Schaefer's a guy who believed what he was saying, but he was also super into money and women. Within the cult, there was a secret male society named the Storks. Oh, God. I don't even want to fucking know. Cult within a cult. The Storks took care of young unmarried women and their babies. Uh... A local archivist in the area, quote, for an extra 500 and you had to be male and you had to wear a diaper pin on your lapel, what you could just... make layettes and full diapers for unwed mothers. I don't even want to say what. Well, he sort of made a diaper party situation within so the he cult. Made, he's, he's made, he, he made a diaper department? <laughs> and there's a diaper so department funny. who... Have special lapel pins. Yeah, yeah. You had to pay five hundred dollars. And they're able, and and you pay. Wait, you pay five hundred or you get five hundred? Yeah, you pay. You You pay pay five hundred to go change diapers. Yeah, you you become a diaper boy for five hundred dollars. Is there something more nefarious? (laughs) There must be. What's the angle? The angle is it's fucking hot. Oh my god! Oh, look at that. Boy, he really had to go. He's eating a lot of carrots, huh? All right. All right. Well, I paid for this. Oh, so cool to see. I mean, awesome. that would be like nine, $9,000 today is about what that is to hang out and put diapers on. Fold diapers? Okay. Anyway, those are the storks. So they're, cool. those guys are, those guys chill. are killing it. Killing it. Chill, chill dudes. Uh, and now the cult also ran schemes. Uh, Schaefer sold stock options between 100 and 400. Rich people who came seeking some life secret would have valuables go missing while they were there. Weird. One woman, one woman had two rings worth 5,000 go missing, and she told Schaefer, and he said, quote, nothing is lost in the infinite. You can think them back in your experience. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> So now, uh, Napoleon and Rosalie's marriage is collapsing. He's never home. She thought he was cheating and hired a private investigator. Now, soon after her book, How to Attract Money and Men, was published, she hired a divorce lawyer, and uh, the PI must have confirmed it. Uh, While he was traveling, she sold everything that they owned. And so now Napoleon has nothing again. Okay. She then went and married the divorce lawyer. Oh, good Lord. That guy was like, and um, also, if you want to come over later, we can kind of get over some of the finer detail points. I really think <laughs> we just want to, I know how hard it is right now. I'm going to be so wearing harder. some really, really small shorts. Uh, I think that's it. Just probably shorts. Oh, gosh. So, so divorce, I call them divorce shorts. That's what I call them. But, yeah, yeah, divorce. Um, I, I mean, I would love to come over, but I just, I'm so raw emotionally. Got a, I got a big tub. It's called a divorce tub. It's where you can relax after your divorce. This is purely just you getting me through my divorce, yeah? Yeah, yeah. No, this is actually what divorce lawyers Because it would, it would do. seem predatory otherwise. No, 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 no. This is completely 100% what divorce lawyers This is part of our job. I've never been divorced before, so I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Massages, uh, oh, massages. hot tubs. Hot tubs. I didn't know um, the tub was hot. Take off your clothes, just whatever. whatever take, happens, off, you know. take off your clothes. 
Okay. So yeah, everybody, everybody is, can take this off their is, clothes. If I, went, if I go to another attorney, this is the same. Yeah, this is a divorce. Like, this is going to happen with any, any divorce attorney. This is just standard Florida okay. law. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll get you the retainer money, and I'll head over for the hot tub. Okay, great. 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 Okay, I can't great. wait to be in you. Just some of the phrasing seems sort of... Yeah, yeah, it's off. legal uh, stuff. It's Being jargon. Legal, it's jargon. Yeah, it's a jar- legal That's jargon. Right. That makes sense. Okay. okay, all right. Well, everything feels like it's on the up and up here. Yep, just going to motorbutt your titties. Legally speaking. Yes. Right, okay. Because otherwise, what? Uh, but, but Yeah, no, I wouldn't just say that. If I wasn't your attorney, I would never say that. Right, okay. All right, well, good. I get a, I get a bad feeling, so I'll, be, I'll see hmm. you later. I said, bye, see you later. See you bye. <laughs> I'm not nervous because of you. I'm not. I'm, I'm freaked out over the whole thing. It's just a lot. Okay. Divorce can be hard. Yeah, it it's be so really hard. hard. It's just very yeah. confusing. Okay, yeah. thank you so much. Bye. Oh, fucking weird bye. <laughs> so, uh, so Napoleon, uh, with no money and nothing, he decides, well, what to do? So he goes to Florence's house and asks his ex-wife for money. <laughs> hey. Oh, Jesus Christ. Look, we're not getting back together. Uh, I'm trying to climb the money ladder, but I don't need money. Please give it remember, to me. She's watched him get rich from afar, right? Like yeah. he's, and now he's like, hey, you got any money? Hey. So you uh, came she, back to give us some money finally? I need money. <laughs> so for some reason, she didn't give it to him. Might have been because yeah. he took 300 from Blair, but anyway. Whatever. In 1941, the mother of baby Jean said she had been coerced into giving up her baby and she wanted her baby back. And she went to the press. So now the two year old immortal had to be returned to its mother. Dave, she'll lose all of her and, goddamn uh, powers. 1941. She's going to lose well, all of her powers. Her magic. I don't know if immortals have power. I think once you're immortal, you're immortal. I don't think it reverses. I don't know. Well, I, don't know I guess the question is, at what age is uh, immortalization conceived? True. It's a good question. See, now a lot of people would think removing a two-year-old while in the state of immortality uh-huh. is taking a life. That's why I'm right. pro-immortal. I am... Right. I'm pro-immortal. I believe, yeah. that, I, believe huh. that immor- I believe that immortality starts at the conception of the idea of immortality. That's right. And I believe anything besides... And a lot of people, a lot of these left-wing lunatics thinks that, think that immortality doesn't set in until about, you know, 10 or 11 years old. But no. It does. <laughs> That's not what's in the Bible. It That's does right. not. No. It, it, in the Bible, it, it clearly states what I'm saying. I don't even need to reveal the passage. What's the passage? Exactly. <laughs> So, the baby coming to the cult in the first place was sort of the end of the cult. It kind of freaked out a lot of the cult members. Sure. All right, we have a baby. So, no, just, let's all, I don't know. Fuck it. Who's got milk? What's going on here? Even Schaefer's strongest followers at that point were like, I don't know. Hey, we just jumped the the shark. The money had already started driving uh, up. 
So it turns out Napoleon and Schaefer had actually known each other for quite a while. Mm. Napoleon had come to him in December 1939. He wanted Schaefer to go in on buying Psychology Magazine for 2500 each. So Schaefer then turned to a rich cult member for the money. And three years later, in 1942, the rich cult member realized that she had been swindled and she charged Schaefer with grand larceny. Okay. And of course, when they looked into it, it turns out that sure enough, Schaefer had just kept the money and not bought the magazine, and he <laughs> ended up pleading guilty. Okay. <laughs> he was given a five-year sentence. The judge called him, quote, a thief, an ex-Klansman who swindled his own organization, a spiritual faker, a religious hypocrite who's been loose, preying on misguided women for too long. That's, I mean, that felt like a five-year sentence. Uh, but it's interesting. So they both had the same idea. So first, Napoleon had the, the I'll, I'll just get a bunch of kids idea, and then Schaefer does it. They're both named Gene. Like, clearly, uh-huh. they were just working together yeah. on this whole yeah. thing. Yeah, they just went solo for a minute. Now, Napoleon moved to South Carolina and fell in love with a, uh, uh, sorry, and fell in I was going to say. Napoleon Napoleon moved to South Carolina and fell in with a guy who was still really angry about losing the Civil War. Uh, He ran Presbyterian College. So he 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 ran into every guy? (laughs) So he met his next wife, Annie Lou Norman, and then he published another book called Mental Dynamite. Uh, Finally. (laughs) Finally. It's getting weird. (laughs) Got to push it. (laughs) Uh, Mental Dynamite also failed. But he did say Gandhi had ordered copies of it and that Gandhi hired investigators to watch him and find out if he was the real deal because the book was going to be distributed all across India. Uh, At at some point you do get a little uh, worried that you know, maybe there's some psychosis. Like, maybe that, you know, like... I don't think that... It's, it's I, still all just genuinely... Like, he's just outdoing himself, really. I don't think that there's psychosis. I just think he is a world-class bullshitter. I mean, right. maybe there's some narcissistic shit going on. But sure, I'm yeah, really but I'm think, saying, like, he doesn't... He's not, like, Gandhi but I don't think he just, believes okay. it. No. Okay, all right. Okay. It's, yeah, it's just to, to push his, you know, shit. Okay, right. So he moves to California. He has a radio show. He kicks around trying more schemes. At one point, he hooked up with a rich insurance guy in 1952. And then Donald Trump's former pastor, Norma Vincent Peale, published his popular book, The Power of Positive Thinking. And he credited, credited Napoleon and the insurance guy with helping him write it. Oh, my God. It's funny. I mean, it's not funny. It's terrible. But it is like the whole... All you can keep thinking is like, in today's world, this guy would 100% be in government and be doing pretty well. <laughs> um, those, him and the insurance guy started a fake charity and they started a new magazine called Excess Unlimited. <laughs> Napoleon, he tried to take it outside the US. He goes to Australia, New Zealand, other countries. It's, it's not really catching on. Well, surely Gandhi would want to distribute it. That's right. You would think so. I mean, he yeah. hired the PIs. Yeah. Uh, so Schaefer got out of prison and tried to get his followers back uh, by lecturing and writing, but it's just not happening. 
1955, Schaefer and his wife were found dead in their car in New York. It was a double suicide. Wow, wow, wow. That's crazy. The journalist who wrote this article, this is based, this podcast is based on, uh, Matt Novak, filed a Freedom of Information Act request for files on Schaefer on December 29, 2014. And then he gets a letter stating all records relating to the request were destroyed on December 29, 2014. So they felt the need to... Once, so I mean, I guess that's how you. I, mean, I guess that's how you say no to using the Freedom of the Information Act. You're like, yeah, there's none anymore. But when was it destroyed? Yeah, the second you asked, we burned it. <laughs> so there's nothing. That's how the NFL handled, handled Spygate. They're like, everyone's like, where's the tapes? They're like, oh, we burned them. It's like, what? It's like, sorry, sorry, we fucked up. Now what are you gonna do? Look. Clearly, the FBI, whoever yeah. the fuck it is, knows how to make immortals. That's yeah. what this is. Oh, That's no. what this means. Oh, no. That would be terrible news. In 1960, Napoleon published a new book written with his insurance buddy called Success Through a Positive Mental Attitude. Soon after, he split from the insurance guy and tried to sell the Science of Success course by licensing them for other people to teach. But mostly, he just really struggled to get by. Right. He died in Greenville, South Carolina on November 8th, 1970, and then his wife had to fight with a charity he had set up, the Napoleon Hill Foundation, over control of his estate. <laughs> wow. So even when he's gone, like, he, like his estate is just like, no, we're still we're working on a scheme. I mean, he set up a grift, and then the grifters he set it up with, they're like, oh, let's fuck this woman out of whatever we can. Like, just right. he, the perfect like, ending. Right, right, yeah. They've learned. Novak, Novak, quote, foundation managers were building the supposedly nonprofit organization out of money and had squeezed Miss Hill out after Napoleon died. Wow. So the legal battles with that and, and the wife, uh, that organization and the wife, uh, would go on until the 80s. Napoleon Hill still has followers, and most believe he was just a self-help guy. <laughs> so Matt... Matt Novak, quote, modern readers are probably familiar with the 2006 sensation The Secret, Mm -hmm. but the concepts in that book were essentially plagiarized from Napoleon Hill's 1937 classic Think and Grow Rich. It's just the same shit. Uh, Which he has reportedly sold over 15 million copies to date. Uh, So the... The only source of this is the untold story of Napoleon Hill, the greatest self-help scammer of all time on Paleo Future, which is, I think is on Gizmodo. I, I can't, but it, part of Gizmodo. Uh, it's written by Matt Novak. You can also follow Matt Novak on Twitter. He's a good writer. I've read some, uh, a few of his things. Um, it's great. I mean, it's also always amazing to me, like, because you see that, like, the, I always remember that when I would, like, watch infomercials when I was a kid, and it would always be like the secret of success or like, you know, how to make a ton of money or, you know, how to be like, like, and yeah. I was always, even from that age, I was like, the way to make the money is to be the person who's like, I'll make you money. Like that's yeah. how you make, you know, that's like, that, that's how you that's do right. it. So it's always funny to, not even funny, but it's always a little disturbing when, you know, I mean, I, I'm we like, 
I mean, there's so many of those stories. I've had friends sign up for pyramid schemes before and shit and like oh, yeah. herb, Herbalife and like, it's just, it is what it is. It's like, um, I think the only difference in that story truly is that someone like that, I really think would end up in government, you know? All right. Well, we signed cats. <laughs>